whatever wealth in this world or the next, whatever exquisite treasure in the heavens is not for us equal to the Tathagata. This too is an exquisite treasure in the Buddha. By this truth may there be well-being. The exquisite deathless, dispassion ending, discovered by the Sakyan sage while in concentration, there is nothing equal to that Dhamma. This too is an exquisite treasure in the Dhamma. By this truth may there be well-being. What the excellent awakened one extolled as pure and called the concentration of unmediated knowing, no equal to that concentration can be found. This too is an exquisite treasure in the Dhamma. By this truth may there be well-being. The eight persons, the four pairs, praised by those at peace, they, disciples of the one well gone, deserve offerings. What is given to them bears great fruit. This too is an exquisite treasure in the Sangha. By this truth may there be well-being. Those who, devoted, firm-minded, apply themselves to Gotama's message, on attaining their goal, plunge into the deathless, freely enjoying the liberation they've gained. This too is an exquisite treasure in the Sangha. By this truth, may there be well-being. Ended the old, there is no new taking birth. Dispassion their minds towards further becoming. They with no seed, no desire for growth. The wise, they go out like this flame. This too is an exquisite treasure in the Sangha. By this truth, may there be well-being. So greetings and welcome to all the monks and novices and all the faithful lady. So today is Friday, 16th of December, 2022. There's just two Fridays left until the end of this year, 2022. We've been studying Dhamma together all year long, and we've like, and we've understood the Dhamma, whether a little or a lot, so far. So the Dhamma we study, we study about the Dhamma of virtue, Sila Dhamma. So there's the quality of sila and dhamma. We call this sila dhamma. The five precepts, five aspects of sila, and five dhammas. So we train ourselves in mindfulness, collectedness, making the mind firmly established. And we practice and cultivate the qualities of loving kindness, metta, compassion, garuna, sympathetic joy, mudita, and equanimity, upeka. Out of these four Brahma-viharas, or divine abidings, the most difficult is equanimity. So we have to train and practice. Even if it's difficult, we do it bit by bit, gradually increase our capacity. And greetings to everybody. So now we're at the time for questions and answers. So if anybody has a question, they can click the raise hand button. Call cup. When initially investigating the four elements, it seemed an element cannot exist alone. As an example, the fire element doesn't become fire until it is met with the air element. The elements each contain a potential. Is this thinking even on the right track? If so, what is this potential and where does it come from? It seems this potential is connected to rebirth. Thank you for your wisdom. Anonymous. So 
So these meditation objects, they're ways to bring our mind to peace and collectedness, to samadhi. So there is the meditation object of the four elements. So we contemplate this bodily heap, this physical body, as composed of the natural elements of earth, air, fire, and water. This earth element is the quality of firmness or hardness, like the nails, teeth, hair, bones, and so on. And in the bodies, there's the water element, like blood, lymph, digestive fluids, saliva, tears. These are all things that have the liquid quality. And the fire element, there's the ability to digest food and the warmth in the body. That's the fire element. The air element is the breath that goes in and out, and that flows out throughout the whole body and the blood. That's the air element. So these four elements, earth, air, fire, and water, it's a way to contemplate the body in order to give rise to the peace of samadhi. And then the samadhi arises in the mind. And then with the mind peaceful and samadhi already, we can contemplate that these four elements dissolve and degrade, pass away. Then we can realize emptiness. This is a fruit of seeing, or the fruit is seeing the body as just a body. There's no me, mine, self there to be found. And when we contemplate and see like this, this is able to take out the attachment in the heart that we cling to the body as self. So in terms of one element having a potential or not existing alone, this is about science. So if you think in this way and it gives rise to samadhi, then this is correct. But if you contemplate like this and it's based on memory and perception, mental formations, there's proliferation, there's busyness of mind, then you should recall that we contemplate for the purpose of bringing the mind to peace and collectedness to give rise to knowledge and understanding to abandon attachment to the body. How is one cognizant of the impermanence of things, people, etc., yet able to pay reverence to the beauty of creation, for example, a flower, or our complex and amazing human body, and so on? Second, further to my query on impermanence and reverence, my thoughts are detachment is the key, but... Should it include reverence and appreciation of the beauty first, then followed by detachment? And from Australia. So this is a very good question that you've asked. So when we have wisdom, we see the impermanence in all things, in humans, other beings, animals, material things, aspects of nature, trees, mountains, rivers, the ocean, and so on. So these are all things, materiality, mentality, that are unstable, impermanent. This is what Anya Kondanya saw when the Buddha first taught this quality of impermanence, that all things arise and cease, whether it's a human, another type of being, or an object that we use. 
So we see this quality of impermanence, of change. We see this with wisdom. We see the Dhamma. This is the essence of the Buddha's teaching. We see, we understand. And in terms of the beauty of nature, like a flower, or beauty in uh, humans and so on, this is a quality of, of nature that's uh, arisen already. There's also the beauty of virtue, the beauty of, the beauty of gratitude, the beauty of repaying debts of gratitude. This is a foundation of those that have virtue in their hearts. So people that are able to understand the truth of reality, to understand the Dhamma, they pass through this stage of having virtue, of seeing the beauty in the world with loving kindness and thinking uh, with loving kindness, thinking in this way, having virtue, having virtue and loving kindness together in society. So this is uh, in the beginning. And you can ask, well, is there clinging there at this stage? And yes, there is. But it's at this stage that one's practicing to abandon unwholesomeness, to do that which is wholesome. And we do that which is wholesome and meritorious. We cling to that meritorious act or that wholesome deed as self with self. We do generosity, virtue, and meditation with a sense of self. So this is a sense of self, a good sense of self in society that has loving kindness, seeing the world in a positive way, thinking in a positive way. But if we then cling to that positivity or cling to that merit, then that will be the cause for suffering to arise. So therefore in the beginning we have virtue, we practice to cultivate samadhi, peace and collectedness. We practice to cultivate mindfulness and wisdom in order to see the Dhamma clearly. And then when we see the Dhamma, it's not that we just let go of everything all at once like that. Like Lady Wisaka, she was a stream enterer, and she still liked beautiful things. She had children, grandchildren, and she had a lot of goodness and firmly established faith in the Buddha Sasana. So we see it's like this, and so we practice bit by bit, step by step, understanding the Dhamma more and more deeply. Then we're able to live in society with our family, with nature, and with wisdom as well. Regarding the fetter self-identity view, does this mean that the Sotapanna views both the body and mind as not-self? Question from Champika. Okay. So this is about having a sense of self, not having a sense of self. So this having a sense of self, there's a sense of atta, self, clinging to things as me and mine. Then there's anatta, not-self which is not me, not mine. So we understand that in the beginning there's this wrong view that all knowing elements have, all jittas have, all minds have. It's important we understand this, uh, this incorrect way of looking at things as self. Because it's this wrong view of self that's based 
or leads to clinging and attachment, leads to becoming, leads to problems. If we have a lot of clinging, then one is a butojana, one with thick defilements, without virtue. And if there's still clinging to self, but the mind is better, there is virtue, and this is a beautiful mind, a kalyana chana. And if one is a, if the mind is a sotapanna, seeing the body, materiality and mentality is not self, this is seeing the Dhamma. But some people might have the doubt that one seen the Dhamma already, seen not self. Why are there, why are there kilesas still there? Why are the, why aren't the kilesas all gone? Because one's seen not self already. So we have to understand that seeing the Dhamma it's cutting off the first fetters, which includes Sakaya Ditti, or the personality view, which is a wrong view that's been embedded in the mind for a very long time. The sense of self, me and mine, you and yours. And so these qualities of virtue, collectedness and wisdom gather together. One sees not self clearly. This is able to change the wrong view that's been there for such a long time in the heart. Wisdom arises and one sees not self. This is able to destroy the kilesas, destroy some of the fetters that tie the heart down, tie it down with ignorance. In terms of these fetters, there's 10 fetters. The first three of personality view, uh, clinging to rites and rituals and skeptical doubt, these are important fetters to cut off, is seeing in terms of self, having doubt about how to practice, or practicing for something other than the sake of the end of suffering. Then these first three fetters, they're very important, the ones that cut off first. If one's able to destroy these first three fetters, then the rest of the fetters take no more than seven lifetimes to be abandoned. There's no eighth life. And if you don't cut off these first three fetters, then the mind will circle around in the cycle of birth and death for lifetimes, for years without measure. There's no accounting of it. So we see in this way, we see not-self. This destroys the kilesas, but not 100% destroys greed, aversion, and delusion, about 25%, not 100%. So there's still liking for beauty, liking uh, males or females. Stream enters still have these in the mind. Like Lady Wisaka still had liking for beauty, and she had a family. But she had realized stream entry since the age of seven, ever since she was a small child, the age of seven. But still, she went to get married, had a husband, had many children, had a liking for beauty. But her mind was firmly established in the Triple Gem and faith in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha. She did generosity, practiced merit without missing it. And she will develop her mind no more than seven lifetimes until she realizes full awakening, arahantship. So therefore we see that this, hasn't, this is a mind that's not yet attained to full awakening, to our hunship. 
So you see, in the beginning, it's like this, and then the mind needs to continue studying, continue learning, in order to attain the Dhamma, which is to attain emptiness, where everything is empty, and that is Arahantship. Dear Tanajananan, how to identify the Kalesas? They seem like a big ball of tangled yarn that has become felted together in places. For example, greed and jealousy look a lot alike, and laziness overlaps doubt. Is there a method to determine for oneself which one to start uprooting? Thank you for your generosity and kindness in offering this retreat option, and thank you for your response. Question from Anonymous. Welcome. So in the beginning, we understand that these defilements, these kilesas, they're all chaotic and all bound together, gathered together. They all tie down the heart, fetter the heart. So we, just like we just spoke to in the last question, this quality of Sakayaditi, personality view, this wrong view of self which ties the heart, covers the heart, and it makes the mind agitated, chaotic, and covers over the heart. So we see that this quality of wrong view, the wrong view of self, it's something that's difficult to abandon, difficult to destroy. If it was easy, we'd all be uh, enlightened beings already. So in terms of kilesas to destroy, we see that there's uh, these root kilesas, greed, aversion, delusion, these three groups. In terms of greed, we have wanting to gain, uh, wanting to experience, uh, jealousy. In terms of aversion, there's anger, ill will, delusion, there's uh, laziness, doubt, and so on. So there's these three groups with many different uh, kilesas within them. So what should we cut off first? So we look at what's really causing our suffering this quality of being deluded in wrong view, the view of having a sense of self. So this is what we should abandon, the sense of self, of me and mine, you and yours. So we need to change our view to realize that there is no self there. It's not me, not mine, not you or yours. This is the way to cure the suffering, to cut off the things that tie the heart down, that cover over the heart. A stream enter, this is what they destroy. They destroy this wrong view, change it to right view. And when this happens, greed, aversion, and delusion, uh, they are reduced. If we ask, well, are they still there? They are still there, but they are lessened, and they are within the bounds of virtue. So don't think too much about this and make your mind troubled and agitated. Don't doubt about this. Just make it simple and easy. Cultivate mindfulness, cultivate virtue, cultivate samadhi, cultivate wisdom. Contemplate that the body is just the body. This way you're able to destroy greed, aversion, and delusion. Make the mind empty and give rise to purity. So Adhananan would like to express his happiness to hear this, that these 
novices that you've all come to practice the Dhamma and very happy that we get to meet together like this. You've traveled far. We meet together for the first time. And for 26 of you to ordain as novices like this, it's something that's not easy to find. So I'm very happy to hear about this, to have the opportunity to meet together. We see that the Samanera novice, it's the beginning stage of a Samana, of a renunciate. So you practice the Dhamma. When you ordain as a novice, you're given the three refuges and the ten precepts. So this sila you have, this ten precepts, is very important. You're a novice, you're complete in your novice ordination, so you need to have virtue as well. You need to have the ten precepts. Because as you're a novice now, the wealth that you have is the wealth of the ten precepts. So you need to take care of them well. There's also a chant specific to novices, to samaneras, that you should be one who's easy to teach, easy to instruct and admonish. You should respect the bhikkhus, the monks, not trouble or, or uh, play tricks on the bhikkhus. This is in the chant of the novices. And novices should study the practices, principles, rules and regulations of practice should respect your senior teachers who lead you in morning and evening chanting, lead you in the holy life. You should respect them and listen to them and follow their instructions. And doing this as novices, you'll grow in your meditation practice. If you have anything that troubles your heart, any problems, you can go ask your teachers. So may you be firm in your cultivation of the mind, in your Dhamma practice. May you take care of the monastic rules and practices to their completeness. And then this quality of virtue, your 10 precepts, is something that is necessary to do well. So speaking of being a novice, being a samanera, you need to practice virtue to its fullness. You need to practice your ten precepts to their completeness. If you like to kill or break your celibacy or steal or drink, these are things that you simply cannot do. Or to have wrong views with regard to the Buddha Dhamma Sangha or to hurt or uh, malign nuns or bhikkhunis or laity. This is wrong, incorrect. So you need to be careful with this. And the Sangha will need to punish the novice who does these things. So if a novice uh, critiques the monks, criticizes them, this is not right as well. And if a novice does things that are of no value, or pointless and they're not restrained and criticize the monks and this is something that one has to be admonished or uh, punished by the Sangha and it's necessary for the senior teachers to teach one in that case to teach about Dhamma practice so may you be good samaneras, good novices and in the future you can be good uh, monks as well 
Anamodana Satu, very happy to hear this. May all of you ordain as monks. So now we can the monks will give the blessing. <laughs> 